Good morning. We started 2023, uh, January 1st, on a Sunday, uh, gathered together for worship, and we are closing 2023 on a Sunday, gathered for worship, and uh, I, I love that. I think that there's something beautiful to that. I wish every year worked perfectly that way. Uh, if you have a Bible, you want to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's right after Proverbs. Um, We'll get back to Genesis in a couple of weeks on January 14th. We took a break for four weeks leading into Christmas uh, for four Sundays. We're going to take two more Sundays off, and then we'll jump back right into where we were in the book of Genesis on Sunday, January 14th. But this particular Sunday every year, the one that falls somewhere in between Christmas and New Year, over the last five years, we've, we've paused and done kind of, we've, we've established a little bit of a rhythm, which is that our service is pretty scaled back and simple. Part of that is because we give our staff the week off between Christmas and New Year, and so there's just, you know, fewer people to kind of pull things together, and we appreciate your uh, grace and understanding in that. But another thing that we've, we've been doing over the last few years is that on this particular Sunday, we pause, and whatever series we're doing... Uh, we take a pause from that or we wait to start something new. Um, And I use this Sunday to do like a little bit of sort of pastoral reflection and exhortation with our congregation. And admittedly, that is something that I've had to like grow into over the last eight years or so. My wheelhouse would be, if you attend church here regularly, my wheelhouse is there's a passage of scripture that is the one that immediately follows the one we did last Sunday and immediately precedes the one we will do next Sunday. And uh, I'm a little more teacher than preacher. And so we just crack open that passage of scripture, see what it has to say in its context and reflect on it together. And I've had to grow into the space of uh, not just being a, a teacher of this congregation, but someone who is a pastor, shepherd, of this congregation. It's something that's taken me time to sort of like find some footing within. And so the other side of the, it's more natural to me to just teach a passage is that the longer that I'm in this role uh, or the longer that I've been at this church in whatever position that has been, uh, the more I love this place. And I mean that in terms of the whole you know, like LCF as an entity, but I also mean that in terms of the sum of its individual parts and the people who make up this church. And the more that I love this place, the more I long to see it flourish, again, as a whole, but also its individuals. And the more I long for each of you to flourish, the more convinced I am that despite sort of all the shoulds and oughts of a church and a pastor, well, a church should be this or do this or a pastor should be this or ought to do this, despite all of that, the truth is that my, my job is actually quite simple and that is to tend to the souls of the people at LCF. Uh, simple certainly doesn't mean easy, but it does mean simple in the in the terms of like straightforward. We can make church about a lot of stuff, but what this pastoral staff, myself, 
and the rest of us are going to answer for one day before the Lord is how we tended or shepherded the souls of those who the Lord chose to entrust to us at this place in any given season. The question when I or the others on our pastoral staff stand before the Lord is not going to be how many leaders did you create? How many programs did you launch? How many small groups did you spin out? It's not going to be how many people caught the vision of LCF such that they could recite back to you what's on the wall out there. The question certainly isn't going to be about how slick the social media was, how many shares this, that, or the other got, how many sermons people left here and quoted, uh, how many sermon illustrations they not only remembered, but actually remembered the point and not just Tim likes iced brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts and not the off-brand, you know? If those are the metrics, I am in trouble. And I would admit that. Uh, The good news is that they're not the metrics. The metric is simple. According to God's grace, and by his power and his work in and through this staff, in all of its various forms, and all of its various, various seasons, did we faithfully care for, cultivate, and tend to the soul's that were entrusted to us. And so with that in mind, I'm going to make one exhortation over the course of this morning, but I'm gonna do it 15 different ways. (laughs) And my one exhortation this morning is that the human soul is more important than anything else. To say that another way, your soul is more important than anything else. If you are visiting with us this morning, maybe you're with family or you're, you've come from out of town or you just picked this morning to check out a new church, uh, what you're going to get over the next few minutes is uh, me um, lovingly encouraging our congregation. That doesn't mean that, you know, the truth of what is said doesn't apply to you as a visitor or someone who's just here for the weekend. Um, But it does mean that uh, there's, you know, there's a context here within our community for this. And we would certainly invite you to be part of that. But if some of it doesn't either make total sense to you or fit completely, that's okay. Um, This truly is me as pastor lovingly encouraging those who call LCF their church home. And so if you've got Ecclesiastes 1 open there in front of you, I'm going to read the first 11 verses, but we're really just going to reflect on verse 2 this morning. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north. Turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. More than anyone can say, the eye's not satisfied by seeing, 
or the ear filled with hearing. What has been will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It's already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord. Look, if you find yourself hunting for an opportunity to spend about two weeks in existential dread, I would invite you to read one chapter of Ecclesiastes a day over the next few days. Because at least on the surface, it feels like existential dread is what awaits in the book of Ecclesiastes. But the good news of Ecclesiastes is that on the other side of that existential dread is actually freedom for your soul. What's the beginning point for Solomon? That everything is futile. Your translation might say vain, vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Everything is vanity. It might say meaningless, 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 says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Uh, One translation says um, complete nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense. Everything is nonsense. What's his point? Generations come and go. The sun rises and sets without relenting. Wind keeps blowing. Rivers keep flowing. People come. People go. Life is wearisome and tiring. The eyes, ears, and stomach are never satisfied. Nothing is ever new. It's just repackaging of the same old stuff, the universe, the world. Life just chugs on without stopping. And his point is that there's got to be something more than that. There has to be something deeper than that. There's got to be something truer than that. There has to be something better than all the meaninglessness of what is around us. Solomon's plea is not to get to the end of your life, look around and realize that you spent the whole time chasing vanity, futility, meaninglessness. The phrase he uses over and over is that it's like a chasing after the wind. And his caution is that you don't get to the end of your life and realize that you spent the whole time trying to catch wind in your hands when there was actually something truer and deeper and more meaningful out there for you. And so the human soul is more important than any other thing. I'm gonna say that 15 different ways because I wanna be really specific about that. There are going to be no slides this morning, so if you're like a, I take notes based on what's on the slides. Um, Like I said, we give our staff the week off, which includes the guy who makes the slides, and I wanted, he he definitely would have made them, but I wanted to honor his time off, so I didn't ask him to. The other caveat I want to give before I begin is this. Some of what follows are obviously sinful things. And you might need to purge from your soul that which is broken, evil, fallen, sinful. But some of what follows are good things. And it's possible that what your soul needs is an honest assessment of whether a good thing has been elevated to a place it does not belong in your life. And no one can do that reflection for you. People close to you can try to help But each of us has to continually be honest with ourselves about the unhealthy attachments we have to good things in this world. In fact, Solomon later says, it's not not that everything is meaningless and therefore everything is bad. 
He says there's an occasion for everything. There's a time for every activity under the sun. And then he enumerates a bunch of those. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather, a time to embrace and a time to avoid, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And so part of the task is to figure out at which time and in what season am I in? And am I making you know, too much of a good thing and I need to let go? Am I engaging with something sinful or broken or evil and I need to just purge that thing from my life? Or am I in a healthy place? And we, we can celebrate goodness and beauty and joy and happiness and all, all of those things. And so as I roll through these, these 15 things, not every single one of them is going to apply to you. I hope one of them maybe does and stimulates something to think about. Uh, certainly this is not like me trying to say, here are 15 things that you need to do in order for Jesus to love you. That would, that would be an awful sermon. <laughs> but the human soul is the most important thing. And by that I mean that your soul is more important than the gratifying of your flesh. That is like the softball to sort of get us going. I mean, what does Jesus say? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes, causes you to sin, gouge it out. And we're like, hey, whoa, that seems pretty extreme. And then he, then he is like, I'll do you one better. It would be better for you to go into heaven with one hand than to go into hell with both. Or it'd be better for you to go into heaven with one eye than to go into hell with both. And we're like, that sounds so extreme, but what's Jesus' point? Your soul is more important. You want to pursue a goal that matters in 2024? And it's not to say that whatever other stuff you're excited about, whatever other resolutions you're making or changes you're trying to establish because the new year offers a fresh opportunity to do that, it's not to say that all of those are bad or that any of those are wrong. But you want to pursue one that's not going to get you to the end of your life and it will have been you chasing wind all the time? Man, get really serious about crucifying your flesh. And free your soul from the chains of your sin. To engage in sin is to do violence to your own soul. That's part of why God is so serious about it. Why scripture is so direct about it. And so free yourself from that. And get super practical about it. Your smartphone is the window into a particular kind of sin. Get a flip phone. Social media is part of what makes it so that you can't control your tongue. Delete the apps, deactivate the accounts. It would be better to go into heaven with a clean tongue than tweeting. Go into hell. The internet's a problem. Go without it. Look, for a chunk of this room, it's like, how is that even possible? But for another chunk of this room, it's like, we all did it for a long time before. 
And if it's the internet that's causing me to do violence to my soul, just go without it at home. You, you could just become a regular at the local library where you walk in and you say, I need to use the computer again. Cable is the issue, cut the cord. Your friends drag you into the same sins over and over and over again. Lovingly, get new friends. A certain place or a certain setting leads to the same sin. Stop going. Because here's the problem with your sin and flesh. It will always want more. You are never gonna get to the, a point where you sin in such a way that your flesh says, ah, we're satisfied. That's what we really needed. Now we're good. We'll stop there. No. Constant engagement in a particular sin will only ever lead to deeper places of that particular sin. Never to a quiet satisfaction in your soul. You need to be filled by something that can actually satisfy. Living water bread of life. But here's the challenge. We all understand this physically from any time we've tried to change our diet. The difficulty with trying to change your diet is that it takes a while for your body to start to crave the new thing that's actually good for you. And so you've got enough willpower to make the change initially. But then there's this gap between the willpower to make the initial change and the craving of the thing that's healthy for you. And eventually you say, I still crave the old thing, I'm just going back. And the same is true with our sin. It will take time for you to train your soul to crave the thing that ultimately satisfies instead of the shortcut quick fix of your sin. But the human soul is worth it because it's more valuable. The next 14 will go faster. Number two, your soul is more important than the number in your bank account. Look, if you're someone who finds themselves regularly consumed by the need for more money or better investments or extra income streams, I would ask you two questions. Question number one, why? And question number two, at what cost? Certainly, there's the potential cost to your family of working extra hours or having yourself constantly in knots over the state of your finances, but there's also the cost to your soul. And what does Jesus say? You can't serve both God and money. What did Solomon say? You get to the end of your life, meaningless, meaningless. Futility, futility, vanity, vanity. You chased the wind. Did you catch it? I'll never forget um, one morning. I was with Tim Nixon, who was a longtime cross-country coach at Liberty High School. And we had a young man over the course of a summer who was a very good runner, but he, he just refused to come to summer practices, which are at 6 a.m. and obviously challenging for a 15 to 18-year-old. Um, and so we would ask him every time he would show up, you know, hey, uh, it's, it's, volu it's voluntary, but we'd like for you to be here. <laughs> um, and he would say, well, I, I have to work. And we're like, what job causes a 16-year-old to work at six in the morning on a Tuesday in June? Like, are you working at a golf course and you're a grounds guy or what is going on? And he would say, no, it's that I work late. And so it's hard for me to get up 
and we had conversations over the course of the over the course of the summer, you know, do you, it's one thing if you need to work and the money is a necessity and we want to make that possible. And he's like, I just want a new sound system for my room. And the day that finally came out, I'll never forget, Tim looked at this guy and he said, well, then you've got two options. You can either learn to want less or spend your life trying to make more. You may need to learn how to want less. Or you may need to detach yourself from the slavery of your heart and mind to the amount of money you have by cultivating a heart that's able to joyfully give. You want to start to sever money's power in your life? Become someone who can joyfully give it away. And I don't say that because we're in need of money. Look, by, by God's grace, through your faithful giving, our church had one of its best giving years ever last year. So I do not stand up here and say, free yourself. I'm worried about your soul, but really I'm worried about, you know, our budget. That is not the case. I mean, genuinely. Release the chains of your heart to your bank account with the simple rhythm of learning how to give and to do so joyfully. The cultivation of your soul or the health of your soul is more important than the accumulation of stuff. There probably isn't an idolatry more on display in everyday suburban American life than the pursuit of stuff. Well, I have a house, but I want a nicer one. Our house has furniture, but I would like nicer furniture. We have a car, but I would like a nicer car. I have this widget, but I would like widget 2.0, and then 3.0, 4.0, and on and on it goes. And yet, what does Job remind us? Well, naked you came, and naked you will return. You could spend your life on a hamster wheel of getting more and just do violence to your soul the entire time. Or you could learn to be content and have a soul that's at rest. The cultivation of your soul or the health of your soul is more important than the next rung of your career. If climbing one more rung on the career ladder that lays before you requires putting your integrity at risk, brother or sister in Christ, that rung is not worth it. If your current position in your career requires regularly putting your integrity at risk, I'm not offering a quick solution and I'm not saying that this would be easy, but I am saying it's not worth it. Work is a part of life, but it is not the whole of your life. And you may need to free yourself from an identification with your career. Now that's something that I think is, is a little bit less of an idol within American culture than maybe 20 years ago, but it, it definitely still exists. You may need to free yourself from that. The health of your soul is more important than the pursuit of happiness. That is the God of our current age, the fleeting God of momentary happiness. Look, it's not the case that we should all seek to be miserable or that voluntarily trying to find opportunities for suffering and difficulty is somehow a virtue. But 
a pursuit of personal momentary happiness at all costs, at all times, is actually a recipe for misery. The target is constantly changing. Oftentimes, you pursue to the nth degree the thing that you thought would make you happy. You finally get it within your grasp and you realize it didn't actually do it. And so now I need to pursue something different or I need to go even further with the thing that I thought would give me happiness in order to finally wrestle from it the happiness that I thought it would give. This is a little bit generational. So if you talk to like millennials and down and you ask them what they want from life, the most common thing you're going to hear is to be happy. Define that. Well, it just, it's just, you know, like, ha- I just want to be happy. You want to talk about chasing the wind. Sometimes I wake up and I'm mad for no reason. I can't even figure out why. I just, I woke up cranky. And yet if I I put my whole life around the pursuit of like momentary happiness, not only is that a recipe for misery, but it is not a very far step before I will start willingly compromising my integrity and my character in order to grab hold of the thing that I thought would make me happy. It's also not a very far step to the point at which I would be willing to do that which I know will make someone else unhappy. Well, because my happiness is the thing that ultimately matters. They can worry about their own. What matters more than happiness is a soul that is content, joyful. I'll I'll speak to my millennial and Gen Z brothers and sisters. Like we think we want happiness so bad. And all that is is like swimming around in the kiddie pool thinking that we finally are Michael Phelps when in reality there's a deep end of joy available that we're all too afraid to leave the kiddie pool to actually go and find because what might I have to leave behind to actually find the thing that my soul is craving for and be at rest and you've got to be willing to get up out of that pool and dive into this one and understand that when I get in there, it's not going to be me that floats me. It will be the gospel of Jesus Christ and there is a whole wellspring of joy and contentment there that I cannot find in the other place no matter how hard I try. Look, if you aim for happiness, follower of Jesus, not only will you likely miss happiness, I can almost promise you that you'll miss holiness. If you aim for holiness, I can almost promise you that you will get happiness thrown in. Next, the health or the cultivation of your soul is more important than the curating of knowledge. For some, a retreat into the accumulation of knowledge provides the same measure of security that others find in retreating into the accumulation of stuff. If I just know enough about fill in the blank, then I'll finally, you know, then I'll finally feel safe, I'll finally feel secure. Look, there will not be 
a quiz at the gates of heaven about the stuff you gleaned from Google. But I actually, in this, mean something a little bit more nuanced in specific. And that is because for some, there exists a relational disconnect with God because we've been trained that knowing about God is the same as knowing God. As if what awaits us at the gates of heaven is a Bible quiz, whereby we stand there awaiting entrance with like 50 other people and it's a race to find Haggai in the top 10% go in and the bottom 90% stand out to study a little bit longer so that you can accumulate enough factual knowledge that you'll finally gain entrance into heaven. Look, your salvation and the state of your soul rests not on what you know, but who you know. He's a person. My wife and I were having a conversation recently and over the course of the conversation, we both sort of arrived at the same place, which was that we were, we were like different people today than we were 14 years ago, praise the Lord. But we often interacted with each other as though the other person were a list of facts from 14 years ago rather than like a dynamic individual that I have a relationship with. Your salvation, the state of your soul, does not rest upon a list of facts and propositions about who God is, that if you can just tick the right boxes, then, you know, your soul will will come at rest. Your salvation is with a person. We just celebrated that at Christmas that God took on flesh and came into the world. You have relationship with him. And so in 2024, like you may need to just carve away some time so that you can relearn to relate to God in a routine and in a place of prayer. Or so that you might learn to actually cherish God because of the knowledge that you have, not just accumulate the knowledge. No, but like the stuff that you learn about God, whether it be in your own study of his word or using other Christian resources or here at church or in a discipleship relationship or in your small group, whatever the case might be, wouldn't just be more stuff that you add to a backlog of information, but instead would be like transformational, joy-filled knowing of a person, cherishing of him. You may need to learn to interact with God, not just in the pages of scripture, but in the everyday mundanity of life. He is the one who sets your soul at ease. The health of your soul is more important than the flourishing of your hobbies. I'm a runner. Runners like to talk about running. You know who doesn't care? Everybody else. Literally everyone else. Fill in your own hobby. You know who doesn't care? literally everybody else. You may need to free yourself 
from like an identity that's built on this thing that you tinker with. For the sake of humor, I'm going to give you a running illustration. I'm a, I'm a disciplined runner, and I have been for years. And one day, a few years ago, um, I don't even know what sort of conversation I was in, but it, something so simple struck me. I mean, it was like getting struck by lightning that I was very disciplined about setting aside, you know, an hour, an hour and a half every single day that I would dedicate to running, and I, I was not as disciplined at that in spiritual practices that actually fed my soul. I mean, I would go to great lengths to make this happen. I will wake up very early in the morning in order to make sure that this happens and knowing I've got a really busy day and then just blow through the stuff that's actually good for my soul. Why? Well, I don't know. I got this hobby. Um, like dedicated to this hobby. Well, Tim, it would be better to go into heaven unfit than to go into hell with a high VO2 max. Whatever your hobby is, fill in the blank. Your soul is more important than that. The health of your soul is more important than the status of your social life. Young people, I think of you first. Like friendship within a particular group of people. I think every adult who's, you know, beyond their young adult years can look back at the things that they did and the decisions that they made in order to try to be in a particular friend group or in a certain social circle and look back and say, oh, what was I thinking? Just chasing after the wind. As soon as I got into that social group, I would have wanted the one that was a little bit higher. And then when I got into that one, I would have wanted the one that seemed a little bit better, or a little bit more prestigious, or a little bit more exclusive, or whatever the case might be. We would all look back and say, it was just chasing the wind. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity. Futile, futile. Like, it's just not worth compromising your integrity or your character or your soul. In adults, the same is still true. The cultivation of your soul, the health of your soul is more important than the chasing of a scholarship. I say that to students, but I mostly say that to parents. Look, if you have kids, no matter what age they currently are, I mean, it's most likely that the one tournament isn't going to be the thing that separates them from like the full ride to the Power Five Division One University and gets you the ticket out of paying for their college education. I mean, it's most likely that the next travel team or the next tutor, the next set of private lessons it's just like the odds aren't in your favor. And if the pursuit of that and the chasing after that cuts you off from meaningful engagement within the community of believers, man, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to you, your own soul, 
It's not worth it to your child and theirs. That which is constantly negotiable to you will become a non-factor to your child. I'll be more clear. If every Sunday going to church is like a thing that you juggle in the air with all the other stuff from the entirety of the week such that when you need a break, you pull out the Sunday morning church thing, your young child that I assume you desperately long to know and to love Jesus is not going to arrive at 22 years old and say, I can really tell by the way my life has gone that Jesus is important. He was just one of a mixed bag of things that we took and left as we chose. The health of your soul is more important than the state of your relational life. I say that specifically and delicately to single people. A rushed or forced relationship just simply isn't worth it. No one in your life will exert more influence into who you are and over how you live than your spouse or your significant other. And as someone who has experienced longing, deep longing in a different area, I understand how hard it is to hear the married guy up front say that. But it's just not worth it. The health of your soul is more important than the whims of our culture. The stuff of our current day is going to come and go. That is Solomon's entire point in the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes. And you need not be slave to the newest trend or the latest fad or the most recent news. And we typically think of this as like a young person's game. Chasing fashion trends or like cultural sort of movements. But older people are just more subtle about the way that they do this. We get constant news notifications to our phone because we're afraid something's gonna happen out there and we're gonna miss it or not be informed. And so our soul is literally just inundated with what we think is offering us like life-giving connection to the world and the society around us, but what is actually just draining life right out of your soul. Meaningless, meaningless. I mean, literally, you could stay up to every cultural trend, every breaking news item, every fashion change over the course of your life and get to the end and you'll be standing there trying to hold wind. The health of your soul is more important than the enjoyment of your leisure. If the aim of your life is a moment of relaxation, you will never relax. As soon as you find that, you'll just want the next one. As soon as you find the moment of relaxation, you'll start to sort of mourn the fact that it's coming to an end. Rest has its place. But there's a time to work and a time to rest. There's healthy leisure and there's sinful slothliness. It takes wisdom to navigate. 
But if your preferred style of leisure is plunging you into debt, it's probably time to stop that. If your preferred style of leisure leaves you disconnected from the community of believers, it might be time to reevaluate. If your preferred style of leisure is more important to you than meaningful spiritual practice, there's a problem. The health of your soul is more important than the prospects of your political party. I say that because 2024 is an election year. There's nothing wrong with being involved in our nation's political processes. And there is nothing wrong with desiring a certain vision for our country and the people who inhabit it. But if you cannot engage in those spheres without doing violence to your soul or to someone else's, then by all means, just lay out. If you can't engage the opposite party in good faith, don't engage. If you can't speak about the opposing candidate without being degrading, then don't speak. If you can't talk about the issues without demonizing the opposing view, don't talk about the issues. Choose the health of your soul over the alternative. If you can't faithfully represent Jesus in the public square, then it's probably best to stay out of it. And I don't say that as someone who thinks that like the way that the big C church in America handles the 2024 election is somehow going to knock Jesus off of his throne or alter his promise to build the church in a way in which the gates of hell cannot stand against it. I trust him in those promises. And yet, at the same time, I'm convinced that we do violence to our own souls and to the souls of others when we engage in those processes in ways that don't faithfully represent Jesus. In ways that compromise our character. In ways that push us into sin. I mean, it would be better to go into heaven with an empty front yard than to go into hell holding your candidate's sign. The health of your soul is more important than the expression of your opinions. Our current cultural moment has convinced all of us that we need to speak on every matter as soon as we can with all the certainty that we can muster and then never back down or change from that opinion. And that is just not true. I think we all know this. Often the best course of action is just to remain silent. It's not only better for those you engage with, it's better for you too. And I say that as one who regularly feels that pressure and who in the past has erred in this realm. Every time something happens in our nation, Sometimes strictly an internal sense of pressure, sometimes external. I feel like I've got to get up here and find a way in the next few sermons to address that thing with our congregation. Why? I don't know. Just so you know my opinions on it, I suppose. Or so you understand where the church stands on that particular thing. And look, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. But what this primarily boils down to is less a matter of wisdom, though that's a significant component, and more a matter of humility.
our current societal moment has subtly convinced us that all of our thoughts matter all the time. That is just not the case. Last, the health of your soul is more important than the protection of your legacy. I say this one for the elder statesmen and stateswomen in our congregation. It's possible that the most important thing you do late in life is come clean and repent. It's possible that for years or even decades, you've been doing the sort of spiritual equivalent of shoving a beach ball down underwater and trying to hold it there. And the further you try to push it down, the more pressure there is for it to come springing back up. And you have wearied your soul shoving that thing down as deep as possible because if it's sprung up to the surface, well, then everybody would know you've got a beach ball. And what would that do to the perception of yourself that you've created? Or what would that do to the reputation that you've given your life over to creating? Maybe you've been hiding something or running from something for years or for decades because a fill-in-the-blank group of people knew you feel like you would be absolutely ruined. And so that thing is just eating away inside of you. Brother or sister in Christ, there is freedom for your soul on the other side of repentance. You say, you don't understand what this would do to my relationships. To which I would say, the gospel is big enough. The good news of the gospel is big enough to navigate what would happen within the context of your relationships. Or you say, Tim, you don't understand the consequences that would come from this. To which I say, the gospel is large enough to handle the consequences. You say, you don't understand what it would do to me. I say, it might be possible that it's time to get out of the baby pool where you think happiness exists and dive into the deep end where the gospel is the source of your contentment and joy and not the false sense of reputation that you've built up around yourself. There's freedom for your soul on the other side of repentance. That's all 15. We could sit down, you know, over lunch or breakfast or coffee. I don't drink coffee. I would have tea. You could have whatever you want. We could sit down and have a conversation about any one of these um, or, you know, a hundred more. And I'm not under the impression that like one sermon here this morning is going to be the magic bullet that fixes any and all of these for anyone within the life of our congregation. But, I am at least naive enough to hope that one sermon here could be the means by which you just maybe for the first time hear someone say, I love you enough to tell you that your soul is more important than the meaninglessness of the thing that you think you need to cling to. And so I want to offer some quick handles Okay, Tim, well, if, if those are sort of the negative, what's the, what's the positive vision of this? Well, a flourishing soul is a God-dependent soul. 
If you have not ever received God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that is the beginning. Your soul cannot flourish until you have arrived at the place where you are dependent upon him and him alone. Both for your salvation, but also for your contentment, for your peace, for your joy. Your soul will not flourish until it is completely dependent upon him and finding in him every single thing that it needs. A flourishing soul is what I'm gonna call a glory contented soul. Until the glory of the Lord in you, through you, around you is the most important thing, your soul will try to fill that void with something different. Until you're so satisfied by just the sheer joy of who God is and how he interacts in his world and the way that he's come to save you in Christ, your soul will try to plug that gap with something else. And so maybe in 2024, you need to just learn how to like regularly feast on the glory of the Lord in his word, among his people, in prayer, in worship, in your everyday tasks, at your job, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your singleness. A flourishing soul is a gospel-centered soul. In America, we make it pretty easy for people to do this. I am this person, and I keep the gospel over here as something that I can add as like a piece of who I am. I would do you a disservice if I led you to believe that that will save you. that you're going to arrive in heaven and say, uh, I knew about Jesus. I hovered around him some. It is his work, his life, his blood, his person that not only saves you, but ultimately satisfies you. And to be a follower of Jesus is to say, I am this person and it needs fixed. And the only thing that will fix it is to grab hold of the gospel and pull that into the very center of my being and allow it to absolutely infect every piece of who I am. A flourishing soul is an unhurried soul. Man, just slow down. Want less talk less, do less. Last, a flourishing soul is a spiritually grounded soul. One that's grounded in the presence of God. One that grounds itself in the word and in the truth of God. One that grounds itself in the community of God's people. I do not think you can have a soul that flourishes without absolutely grounding yourself in the everyday means that God has given you. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity. Absolute futility. But here's the thing. Outside of the sin, I want all of this for you. I want you to be wildly happy. 
I want you to have bank accounts that are secure. I want you to have stuff that you enjoy. I want you to have friends. If you desire to be married, I want you to be married. I hope 2024 is the year that that happens. But I would not be loving you if I said I want you to have those at the expense of your soul. That would be the exact opposite. And so if, if nothing else from this morning, hear one pastor say to one congregation, I love you enough to want what's ultimately best for your soul. And I want this place to be a place where we unashamedly, sometimes firmly, shove one another in that direction. We would be willing to cast off that which is ultimately just weighing down, dragging down, wearying our souls that we might find joy and peace and contentment as our souls rest in Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, Brian and the, the team are gonna come up. They're gonna play a couple songs as we typically do. Normally at this point, I just invite everybody to stand up and sing. Um, the invitation is certainly there. We'd love for you to engage. But I also want to just offer you this. Uh, you planned to be here until the service was over. <clears throat> and so there's like some ready-made time here if what would be best for you would be to spend a little bit of time reflecting, maybe even journaling or getting some immediate thoughts out because we all understand that we're gonna go from here and it will be hard to circle back to that. And so if you need to use the next few minutes in order to do some of that, by all means, join us in singing when you're ready to sing. Um, if, if standing up and, and singing is what you want to do or what you feel is right, then by all means, stand up and sing. But the next 10 or so minutes are just yours to respond with as you would like. Sound good? God, would you, by the power of your spirit, teach us what it is to just build the entirety of our life, heart, mind, soul, activity upon you and your love, upon the gospel. God, I pray that 2024 would be uh, an opportunity maybe to take stock of where we might be adrift in that. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet us in those places. God, gently, but also firmly. And God, I pray that your spirit would empower us. God, to make meaningful change, to be transformed by your work. God, that we might have souls that are at rest, at peace, that have joy and contentment. God, that have a, a wholeness thanks to the gospel. God, would your spirit do that work in us? 
would you empower us to proclaim the freedom of that message to others? God, would you be glorious in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We love you guys. Thanks for being here today. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over, my story's just begun. The failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. The failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does.